You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious of us, peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Toki Tanvir and myself, Wadi The time is uh, three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 10th of March, 2023. We have once again a very packed program this morning at uh, the breakfast show. It's an interactive broadcast. It means that all our listeners have the opportunity to join in any of the discussions that are taking place in the course of the program. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, uh, dial zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight, and share your thoughts with us. Uh, alternatively, you can tweet us at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Um, the, uh, there's a variety of different subjects that we will be exploring. In a few minutes' time, uh, we'll begin with a rundown of the weather with Imam Tokir before going on to examine some of the news stories that are doing the rounds these days. Won't be spending too much time on each, but uh, try and rattle through as many as possible during the first half hour. Uh, now, those familiar with the show will know that we have two main topics that uh, we deal with uh, during the course of this broadcast. The this week, the uh, first of these is to do with the impending Muslim month of Ramadan and the period of fasting uh, due to begin later on the 23rd in about uh, two weeks' time. Uh, it is uh, primarily a month geared for spiritual rejuvenation, but um, it has other benefits as well, such as health. So Ramadan, health benefits of fasting is the title of this subject. And we'll be exploring this with uh, Ms. Uh, Sonia Morris. Uh, Sonia Morris is a registered public health nutritionist. And we'll also be speaking to Nusrath Koster later on. Uh, Nusrath is a registered dietitian, clinical director of primary care dietitians. So we'll be drawing from the expertise and experience of these two uh, experts to further our understanding of this particular pheno- phenomena about the health benefits that are associated with uh, fasting in the month of Ramadan. Uh, So that's between 7.30 and 8.15. That's when we'll be covering that particular topic. Uh, So if you are interested in it, then uh, do make sure you remain tuned in till then. Uh, As far as the second main topic is concerned, it's something we picked up, uh, I'm sure, from one of the websites. But uh, the title... (coughs) of this topic is four-day week, uh, four-day work week, happier employees uh, is, uh, well, that's the topic. Uh, and uh, we'll be discussing this uh, with um, a CEO for life, Melissa Dawn, uh, and sharing uh, uh, what she had to say on the subject. We spoke to her earlier, in fact. Uh, so uh, that's something that we will share uh, we also had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Wendy Hall. Dr. Wendy Hall, uh, or should I say Professor Hall, uh, is in fact is an emeritus of uh, a professor emeritus of the of nursing at British Columbia, and we'll be airing her thoughts on the issue as well. Uh, of course, if you have uh, your own views on any of the topics we we are covering, do feel uh, free to call in and tell us what you think. So, lots to do, lots to cover. We'll, uh, and as always, we'll have a review of the Islamic angle to all that we discussed from our leading imam, Imam Tokit and we. And now that I mention his name, I can hand the mic over to him uh, to introduce and uh, take the, further, the program further. 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and jazakum Allah, brother Walid. Thank you. And uh, I'll start the uh, the from the weather and the weather forecast for today. This from BBC Weather is that uh, today early rain and rain running to snow in places over the hills will clear eastwards during the morning and a drier but rather cloudy um, afternoon with winds and cloud gradually decreasing into the evening. And the forecast for tonight is that this evening will see lingering cloud break up and lift overnight to reveal clear skies leading to the risk of widespread frost and icy stretches so yeah that's the weather forecast um so you know do have a jacket with you do have an umbrella with you um as it is wet so just just be mindful of the weather before you do step out um brother Lee, did you manage to catch the snow a few, a few days ago no, uh, I'm glad I didn't know. Was it snowing? In <laughs> so, London? so yeah, well, it was snowing, uh, oh. especially towards the you know this area. Um, and uh, funny story is that um, I, I I went out around in the morning before seven for for uh, for some work. Mm. Um, and by the time I was done uh, and I was coming my way back, all the snow it had melted. So I was quite surprised that uh, you know once I got to the place. Mm. Uh, around me it was he- snowing heavily mm-hmm. <laughs> but because of the rain and uh, the, the wet wet weather uh, it had all melted away within within a few hours okay when which day was this uh this was on wednesday wednesday oh, okay. yeah all right. All right. i had a line on wednesday so <laughs> okay uh, yeah so that's that's just that's the the weather forecast uh-huh. um and I wanted to start the news roundup. Uh, you probably mentioned this later as well, but with regards to the peace symposium we mm. had, um, so global Muslim leaders urged uh, good faith negotiations and peace plan for Ukraine as uh, His Holiness inaugurated the new complex of the biggest uh, biggest mosque rebuilt after the fire in 2015. So on the 4th of Dece- of March 2023, the world head of the Amdiya Muslim community, the 5th Caliph, His Holiness Azam Zamsur Ahmed, delivered the keynote address at the 17th National Peace Symposium hosted by the Amdiya Muslim community. And the event also served as the inauguration of the new five-story building in the Betul Futu, uh, which was rebuilt after a fire in 2015. And prior to the formal proceedings of the peace symposium his holiness unveiled a plaque and led the attendees in silent prayer to mark the inauguration of the new complex which included the two multi-purpose halls office space and guest accommodation and the event was attended by more than 1500 people including 500 dignitaries and guests who had gathered from around 40 countries compromising ministers ambassadors of state and members of parliament during the proceeding his holiness presented barbara uh, caroline hoffman founder of the charity asem with the 2019 md muslim prize for the advancement of peace in the recognition of our charitable work and to provide for children orphaned by war, by war. and his holiness also presented dr tada shohi uh, former mayor of hiroshima with the 2022 MD Muslim Prize for the Advancement of Peace. 
for his adverts towards campaigning for nuclear disarmament. And in his address, his holiness warned of the perilous trajectory of war in Ukraine and urged world leaders to strive to find mutual acceptance terms of agreement and make urgent efforts to find peace lest the cycle of incent violence rotates with the with ever greater fury and his holiness said that the third war is dangerously close and presented verses of the holy quran to highlight solution that are directly needed to find a way out and his holiness during his address also highlighted the true purpose of building mosques and drew attention to the link every mosque must have with the Holy Kaaba in Mecca. So yeah, that was just um, a little news update from Press Ahmadiyya on the peace symposium which had taken last place. Um, And this is something which we'll be covering in much more detail next week on our Friday morning show and we will be having um, guests as well who will be tuning in for that. Brother Lee, the I mean, we we met each other as well on the day as well. Yes. Um, I wanted to mention that we also had uh, Reverend Deborah Foreman, who she is a regular contributor to the Voice of Islam studio, especially on the Friday mornings. So she very graciously um, accepted the invitation, and she was there, and she saw the whole uh, the new complex and the address of his, as well of his organization. She was very much uh, moved by it all. Mm-hmm. So we will also be hearing from her next week as well. So th- th- that's something uh, which will be very interesting. Mm, something to look forward to, I'm sure. Yes. Um, so it was a very, very historic event uh, uh, from many uh, points of view. Um, it cost us... Um, the uh, rebuilding was uh, cost more than £20 million. Pounds. Um, and um, it has... Uh, it is something that is formidable. Uh, it looks very attractive. I've had many tweets from people uh, saying how magnificent it looks from mm. the outside. Mm. And um, it's um, just one of those things where um, the community has really bounced back from the catastrophe it suffered. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. We did have uh, some a small minority of people rejoicing the on the fact that uh, this has happened and uh, mm. at that time His Holiness uh, said that we will build better and that uh, we will be uh, praising God Almighty for uh, mm. what He has bestowed upon us and it certainly is something worthy of uh, deep gratitude to God Almighty for what He has given us Absolutely. in the form of this uh, this new structure. Um, it's better, I don't know how much of the inside you've seen but uh, it is very much state of the art uh, um, that um, you find has been utilized. Um, so it is. It is indeed very impressive. I was actually looking for the library and I couldn't find it. <laughs> uh, so the library is still there, and the library has also had a facelift as well. You'll find it lot, uh, not more uh, attractive now. I, I was trying my best to find it. I did see signs, but uh, I was. <laughs> you're going to have to show me where. I'll, it is. I'll probably have to show you. Yes, maybe uh, uh, later on this this evening if you're free. But uh, yes, the library is still there. Um, but um, uh, whereas before it used to be one of the uh, big attractions of the whole complex, 
uh, apart from the mosque, which is mm. certainly uh, mm. as is in a league of its own. Um, but now others have taken. Uh, I mean, there's, there's been many many MTA programs in in the library as well, yes, right? Yes. Uh, Faith Matters was yes. one of them, where most of their programs mm. was held there. Mm. Uh, yes, certainly. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the programs, and there's uh, there's others that were also done there. I remember. Um, you know, some were done by the youth of the community. Mm. Um, so yes, it's uh, it's one of those uh, venues within the complex that's uh, very appealing. Uh, but the new uh, hall, the two new halls we have, capacity I think is uh, over 650, 600 odd. Mm. Um, are again uh, very uh, uh, good to good to see. Uh, we've got large screens in one of them yeah, in the Nasser yeah. Hall. The so yes, all in all, it's uh, it's a remarkable achievement by the community. And also, it has to be mentioned that this twenty million is all self self funded, mm. no lottery grants, yeah. no no money from the government. Mm. Um, so it is all from the members of the community. So it's uh, uh, by God's grace, it's uh, something that uh, is a wonderful achievement. Absolutely. Right, on to uh, other news. Uh, the main item that is uh, dominating our um, TV screens and uh, uh, print media is regarding these boats uh, and, in particular, the announcement made by the Prime Minister, uh, followed by certain remarks uh, uh, made by the uh, Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. Uh, and uh, it's concerning the, as I mentioned, the uh, Stop the Boats. Uh, under this slogan, it was Stop the Boats, that the Prime Minister announced the launch of a bill at a press conference in Downing Street that would allow government to criminalize, detain, and deport asylum seekers that arrived here irregularly, like on boats. Uh, the Prime Minister declared, I quote, if you come here illegally, you can't stay. Uh, he admitted that this was not the magic bullet, but uh, part of a wider strategy. Uh, and it's no coincidence that he's meeting uh, President uh, Macron uh, on Friday, later on today, uh, hoping a reset in relations with Europe uh, that would help with one of his biggest issues at home. Last year, 45,000 people crossed the channel, and the asylum backlog is estimated to be 160,000. However, the policy has come in for much criticism by humanitarian organizations. UNHCR accused the policy of uh, accused this policy of being one that extinguished the right to seek refuge protection in the UK and said it was profoundly concerned by the bill's provisions which gave the government the right to criminalize, detain and deport asylum seekers saying it would be a clear breach of the refugee convention. Uh, in an unusually critical statement, uh, the UNHCR said that uh, the legislation, if passed, this is a quote from them, the legislation, if passed, would amount to an asylum ban, extinguishing the right to seek refuge protection in the United Kingdom for those who arrive regularly, no matter how genuine and compelling their claim may be. The effect of the bill in this form would be to deny protection to many asylum seekers in need of safety and protection and even deny them the opportunity to put forward their case. 
this would be a clear breach. This is a UNHCR statement. They say that this would be a clear breach of the Refugee Convention and would undermine a long-standing humanitarian tradition of which the British people are rightly proud. Anyone found to have entered the country illegally will also be blocked from returning or claiming British and, uh, Britain or British citizenship in future. Now, criticism of this policy has also come from other sources. The BBC football commentator Gary Lineker, no less, in response to watching a video of the Home Secretary setting out the policy, he tweeted, Good heavens, this is beyond awful. Told by another user he was out of order, he went on to uh, tweet, We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s, and I am out of order. It is not clear which language in particular Lineker was referring to, but uh, Ms. Breverman, uh, this is the Home Secretary's, her, her video and accompanying tweet, including the words, enough is enough and we must stop the boats. So this is uh, something that um, is an issue that uh, well is very much current, agitating uh, people's minds, uh, and uh, seems to be on the face of it, uh, one would say, very um, dis- uh, dispassionate. It's uh, not compassionate at all, uh, something that uh, rankles with uh, uh, fair play and uh, one's uh, uh, willingness to help others. So we'll see how it develops. Uh, the uh, legal position is that uh, it is very much a 50-50 whether it will meet the legal threshold. So uh, it may be that uh, the bill will never be passed. But the fact that it is uh, that these kind of measures are announced uh, have caused great concern in many, many quarters as to how uh, the um, the UK is dealing with this uh, situation. If it is one, uh, if it is a nation that uh, wants to be um, seen to be compassionate and caring and giving refuge to those who are persecuted and needing refuge, then uh, uh, it should not put these kinds of uh, um, blocks in the way, these kinds of obstacles in the way. That's what some would say. Others uh, say, and this is one of the uh, reasons why this policy is being aired, is because there is some political mileage to be gained in them, apparently, is that uh, there is a constituency within the UK, maybe a sizable constituency, and uh, that is concerned about the number of migrants that are coming into the country and wants something to be done. And this is the way that... um, the uh, the government is appealing to those uh, the people with that kind of mindset. We'll see how it develops, but um, on the face of it, it looks, uh, as is said, uh, not a not a compassionate policy. Perhaps uh, things should change. Anything else? Uh, did you manage to see the uh, the match between PSG versus uh, Bayern Munich? I'm sure you would have. Uh, oh yes, my one of my sons is a, is a Messi fan. Yeah, and yes, he put that on, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, at my age and with so many matches, I can't remember <laughs> what, what, what. Oh, PSG lost, didn't they? Yeah, P- yes, PSG, PSG lost, lost and yes. uh, it was a it was a very thrilling match. Uh, the way uh, Bayern Munich played, actually, um, uh, 
I mean, PSG was already one one nil down on aggregate, um, and apart from that, Bayern Munich they managed to score two goals. Mm. Um, so, uh, oh, yes, PSG huffed and puffed, but they couldn't uh, they couldn't score. Instead, instead they let two in. Yeah, mm. <laughs> so, one in each half. Uh, I think one one yeah no they both of them were in the second, second half. half so mm. Eric um, Eric Maximum Monting he scored uh, at sixty one and Serge uh, he scored at uh, mm. towards the eighty ninth minute mm. uh, but yeah a very thrilling match um, you know where you have the likes of Messi uh, Mbappe you know the, mm. su- such stars uh, mm. but uh, it just goes to show you sometimes even uh, even these guys uh, yeah. these these they lose as well <laughs> they they can they can lose as well yeah mm. i'm surprised you didn't mention the other match which one mm. the, the manchester united <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll let the one pass <laughs> okay so you're not a liverpool fan right no my one of my sons the other son is a manchester united supporter so he was very distraught but he was happy yesterday because they won uh, they won in uh, 4-1 wasn't it yesterday um so uh, Uh, they've uh, to some extent redeemed themselves yes yeah. um let's see so um yes uh, there's an item here about cold weather um so this has been covered already uh this is we were talking uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago about beast from the east wasn't it uh, but this particular spell of cold weather is due to the uh, the arctic uh, arctic spell from the north um and as you said the snow has been falling in various parts of the UK and um on tuesday people in scotland or somerland tyneinware yorkshire bedfordshire waking up to snow uh, or more sleet and snow and then um there were also parts of wales and scotland that were engulfed with snow as well uh and then on wednesday as you've mentioned there was snow in these parts in uh, further south as well temperatures they say dropped to minus 15 uh, on tuesday night in uh, in scotland uh, making it the coldest night of the year so far in the uk uh, temperatures also dropped elsewhere to minus 8 uh, in the north of uh, north of england so very cold and the icy temperatures it said uh, is down to as indicated an arctic maritime air mass air mass Arctic maritime air mass is how it's described at the Met Office. A cold air from the north has pushed south across the whole of the country, and a battle between the cold Arctic air and milder Atlantic air is creating the conditions for snow, which is to li- which is likely to uh, cause disruption and has uh, for some. Um, the focus of the snow is currently southern England, although I can't see any sign of it. um at the moment uh, there is um, a, some kind of drizzle that is that we suffering from at the moment um and um uh, we expect that uh, this is according to um the um met office that during the afternoon a further spell of sleet and snow is likely to develop across southern england and south wales which could cause travel disruption in the evening uh, so we see how that develops um the other uh, main story i think uh, that is ongoing is um this uh, uh escalation of the of fear of the escalation of the ukraine conflict um there appears to be more efforts uh to continue 
the uh, conflict rather than engage in talks to secure peace. Uh, a year on and an early resolution to the dispute uh, appeared remote with fears that the clash may consume other nations uh, and into global conflict. And it is this that uh, Imam Tokir was mentioning earlier that His Holiness also uh, focuses attention on during his uh, address at the uh, peace conference. And he warned uh, that uh, uh, this uh, could uh, get out of hand and uh, we should uh, take measures to uh, see how uh, the conflict can be resolved. Um, in particular, he quoted from the Holy Quran, which advises that, and I quote uh, the translation of it, that if two parties fight each other, make peace between them, and if after that one of them transgresses against the other, fight the other party that transgresses until it returns to the command of Allah. And if it returns, um, make peace between them with equity and act justly. Verily, Allah loves the just. Now, although this is dealing uh, with the, the conflict uh, between Muslim parties, the clues of conflict uh, resolution are clearly there. Uh, the first step is to try and carve out a peace between the warring parties, not to start fueling the conflict by injecting more and more weapons in the war. Uh, this will only lead to more casualties and bloodshed. And the second step would be that if one of the parties then behaves wrongly, Others should engage uh, engage it together and make it return to peace. However, here it is imperative, and this is a very important point, and this is something that was His Holiness highlighted, that in any peace that is forged is done with peace, uh, with uh, with justice and equity. It means that unjust retribution or a threat can never be conducive to forging a lasting peace. Um, and this is what His Holiness alluded to in his address. He said, and I quote, that unjust retribution or revenge must not be exacted. Regarding this principle, uh, the Holy Quran categorically states, His Holiness said, that you must not let the enmity of any nation or party prevent you from upholding the standards of justice and equity. Accordingly, His Holiness said, punitive sanctions or the unjust measures that prevent a nation from moving forward post-war and limit its freedom and prosperity should be avoided at all costs. And he said that certain political leaders have stated that once the war go does end, Russia should be subjected to extreme sanctions and made to pay for its uh, for its actions. And uh, His Holiness went on to quote uh, the Times columnist Matthew Paris, who said that such statements in advance of any meaningful peace talks are ill-judged and serve only to further inflame a volatile situation and reduce the chances of a peaceful settlement. The columnist, as Olnes said, wrote that uh, political leaders should be above seeking short-term media claim and recognize, as he puts it, that the words spoken now can cast long shadows across a future terrain of which we are all still all ignorant. He writes that now is not the time to speak of reparations from a defeated Russia or to call for Nuremberg-style war crime tribunals. Uh, he's only said that he believes he, that Matthew Paris is right to serve this warning. What incentive, he's only said, will Russia and its leaders have to seize hostilities if they know that their withdrawal will lead to their certain ruin? 
And um, His Holiness then went on to say that uh, Islamic uh, teachings require every effort to be made to bring a peaceful uh, solution to a conflict. And uh, His Holiness said that he believes it is essential to keep the channels of communication open, to strive to find mutually acceptable terms of agreement. And he said the objective of the intervening parties must remain at all times to establish peace instead of seeking revenge or humiliating the aggressor, nor should their underlying intention ever be to line one's pockets or to exploit the conflict to advance vested interests. Otherwise, those who have been demeaned will undoubtedly harbor a sense of injustice and resentments. Such frustrations are bound to eventually boil over and lead to further conflict, and so the cycle of incessant violence will continue to rotate with ever greater fury." And um, he then elaborated more on this particular issue. And um, 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 it is worth uh, reading what uh, his only said. It's available on alislam.org. And uh, it is something that uh, uh, many found to be uh, wise words that his holiness uh, uh, made mention of and uh, very illuminating. And uh, there is much that can be learned, uh, I'm sure, from the, that particular uh, discourse of His Holiness. And if you are able to apply those uh, particular uh, um, um, you know, words of wisdom, if you are able to follow that guidance, I'm sure that we will be able to extricate ourselves from the crisis we are in uh, that is uh, threatening to drag uh, uh, the, the world into a global war, which uh, which is likely to be nuclear. So that's a, that's a very sobering thought, but it is something that uh, is uh, very much um, on, uh, on, we are at the precipice of, and uh, we have to uh, be concerned about how the, uh, the, um, pro- the well, w- w- how this, this, is, this is developing, it, it is quite worrying. Shall we move on, uh, Imam Tokir? Or is there another news item that you want to share? Uh, no, I think let's let's, let's move, move on. on. Let's press on. Yeah. We've done the football. There's no <laughs> jokes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's move, uh, press on. We let's look at uh, what we have uh, as the first item. The first item, as mentioned at the top of the program, is regarding the month of fasting, uh, the ninth month, uh, as uh, many people describe it as the ninth Islamic month, and we're focusing our attention on the health benefits of fasting in particular. So that's the title, Ramadan, Health Benefits of Fasting. Ramadan is the ninth ninth month on the Islamic calendar, one of the holiest times as it marks a four-week period or a bit more of fasting that uh, Muslims worldwide take part in. In 2020, researchers at PEW estimated, I'm sure that's some kind of a, uh, an academic institute, they estimated that there were roughly 1.9 billion followers of Islam. So Ramzan is indeed a special occasion for many people. Uh, Ramzan does not fall uh, on the same date every year. It is uh, predicted to take place on uh, Thursday, 23rd March. However, this could vary according to the signing of the moon, but I think uh, uh, current calculations confirm that it is going to start uh, on Thursday week. Uh, In the uh, Islamic uh, calendar, a month begins with the first crescent of a new moon, and the new day occurs after sunset. 
uh, as this calendar acts in accordance with the phases of the moon, it is shorter than the Gregorian calendar by roughly 10 days. Ramadan lasts between 29 and 30 days, and it, uh, it always ends with the arrival of Eid al-Fitr, which literally translates to festival of breaking the fast. Uh, Ramzan marks the month when the Holy Quran was said to have been revealed to the Holy Prophet uh, Muhammad, peace be upon him, by God. Uh, this is why Muslims are required to uh, spend the full month abstaining from food and drink during the daylight hours, as it is a means of honoring their faith while their hunger allows them to empathize with others' suffering. Fasting, however, is uh, uh, only one of the pillars of Islam, which uh, every follower of the faith must fulfill. The pillars include a declaration of faith, uh, the shahada, prayers, salah, uh, charity, zakat, uh, fasting, psalm, and pilgrimage, hajj. Uh, Muslims fast during sunlight hours, so as the days get longer, this means longer times in which they must retain, uh, refrain from eating. Many followers of the faith will eat a large meal before the sunrise, which is uh, known as suhoor. Uh, which from um, which uh, translates to be pre-dawn meal during Ramzan, the meal eaten after sunset is referred to as iftar. But um, uh, times of these events depend on where you live in the world, so be sure to check your local time zone in advance. So now we do have uh, uh, an expert on the line, Ms. Morris uh, is her name. Uh, or to be exact, Melissa, uh, Sonia Morris, uh, I should say, and Sonia Morris is a registered public health nutritionist. So thank you very much for joining us on The Breakfast Show. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello. Oh, dear. I can just about hear you. Can you? Um, okay. uh, good morning, Sonia. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Good morning, good morning. Thank you very much for coming on to the breakfast show and uh, uh, speaking to us. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? I've said you're a, a nutritionist. Yes, I'm a public health nutritionist. Uh-huh. Um, I've been in the trade for about 20 years plus. Oh. I have experience in most areas of nutrition. I've worked in schools, I've worked for community groups. I've worked for hotels, menus, and I've worked for um, gymnasiums, and I do one-to-one consultations also. Okay, and uh, as a health nutritionist, what what are the main benefits of fasting according to your perspective? Um, Yeah, fasting has many benefits, um, whether it's a religious fast or whether it's just a fasting as a lifestyle. Um, I've listed... I've got a list of three, mm-hmm. of five, because uh-huh. there are so many, I don't think we've had time to go over all of them. My number one, mm-hmm. my personal number one, is that it aids nutrition and promotes detoxification. My number two, and it may help prevent disease because it fights inflammation. And number three, it supports sugar management, blood sugar management, which is important um, if you have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it supports weight loss. Many okay. people fast for weight loss. They do things like um, intermittent fasting to support their weight loss regimen. And um, and it may delay aging, which is good for all of us. And it oh. can extend long, longevity. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, how does it aid nut- nutrition if you're, if you're abstaining from food? How does it aid nutrition? Mm. Or do you mean 
aid digestion. I thought you said aid nutrition. Did I mishear, mishear no, you then? Yes, sorry. Oh, aid no. digestion. Okay, how does yes. it aid digestion then? Okay, because um, if we eat constantly, our digestive system is working constantly. So mm-hmm. it does not have enough time to um, do the work that you need to do. It's best to eat like every four hours because that's the cycle of the nutrition, of the digestion cycle. So the food is digested, um, the nutrients are taken out and goes to aid all the body areas that it needs. And then we have the waste product. That mm-hmm. takes four hours. So the longer time you give that system to work, is more it will um, work more efficiently. And also it uses energy. So once that energy is not being used for that, it can be used for other things like... Um, like your skin, make, um, um, right. Sorry. Yes, no, that's fine. Yeah, can, now, yeah. You know, you also mentioned um, blood sugar management, but uh, mm. how, how does that uh, factor in? Okay, blood sugar management, this is, it does, it's important for those who have diabetes, but, but I must say, always consult your um, GP uh-huh. before going on a fast just to make sure. Um, that you get the right information because there's different types of diabetes, there's different types of management and often people may be on um, medication so it's always good to consult the GP. Um, but it improves the circulation, the control by reducing the insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. So that that's the big problem with diabetes, it's mm-hmm. insulin resistance. So it improves and it controls that. Mm. So um, that's how it okay. um, uh, my, my colleague also has a few questions, but before he asks his uh, his questions, um, mm-hmm. I'm quite intrigued by this uh, this comment of yours about it de- delaying aging. I'm getting on a bit, so uh, <laughs> if it delays aging, I'm, I'm yes, I'm quite interested. How do they do that? Um, what I was saying before, your energy, because you're not dig- um, using your energy, the energy to digest your food constantly, you're giving a break. The energy that's used for that can be used to 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 repair skin and uh-huh. repair you know other organs that need repair because uh-huh. our, our bodies are constantly working right. and food digesting food is like 30% of and it takes 30% of our energy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if that's given a rest there's energy for other things <laughs> right. it's, okay. it's, it's a complicated but brilliant system we okay. have our body system Excellent. Okay, no, that's quite uh, intriguing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> my colleague has some questions for you. Uh, good morning, okay. uh, Sonia Morris. Hope you're doing well this morning. Um, good morning. I wanted to ask you from a nutritionist point of view, could you please uh, discuss um, the different types of fasting and also when we are looking at different types of fasting, which one would you recommend as the most beneficial in your opinion? Okay, there's different types of fasting there. There's a religious fast. I believe um, there's Eid, where um, is it Muslims, they um, fast. There's Christian fasting, they also fast. Um, many other religions fast, but mm. that's the religion one. And it's normally set out um, what times and, and things to do. There's, uh, there's different rules. But um, the fasting for health, which I would recommend, is the intermittent fasting. Now, there's like, there's a few, there's a few types. The one that I personally like, I recommend to most of my clients, mm. is the 16-8. So you fast for 16 hours, and this will include your time of sleeping, because sleeping's great, it repairs, every, it just is a great time, because it repairs everything in your body. 
if you, you know, during your sleep, that's when your body's just at rest and all the energy is used to repair, as I mentioned before. Mm. So you, you sleep, you, um, within an eight hour window, you have all your meals, like your three meals a day within an eight hour menu, um, window, but for the 16 hours you fast. So, um, I'll give you an example. Say your last meal is six o'clock at night. Mm. You don't eat again till the next morning, 16 hours after that six o'clock. So it'll be something like 10 o'clock, eight o'clock. No, eight o'clock is 12. It'll be something like 10, 11 o'clock. In the morning? morning. In the morning. Okay. Okay. Yes. It's quite, I find it, it works because you are sleeping after time. So you're not tempted to eat. And, um, you can eat a fairly good diet, eighty twenty, and it still works. And and would you recommend uh, that this is a very good way of weight loss as well? Yes, yes. This 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 along with exercise, along with making sure your diet is healthy, this will help keep your weight um, consistent, and it will help with weight loss. I believe I've seen it. I've seen that happen. There's also another five two diet. For five days, you eat normally. For two days, you reduce your calories drastically. Mm. That's another one that people like to try. You know, it's trial and error to see what suits um, your lifestyle or what suits your body type or what suits your um, family. Absolutely. And I mean, you've you've mentioned uh, religious fasting as well. Um, For example, in Christianity, yeah. Their type of fasting is that you know they'll abstain from particular sort of food, um, mm-hmm. and if you look at Islam in the month of Ramadan, which is approaching mm-hmm. as well this month, yeah. uh, we tend to not eat from uh, dawn until uh, you know very late in the evening. Um, mm-hmm. What was is in your opinion um, is is that also beneficial? What's your views on religious fasting? Okay. I, I believe religious fasting it, it's not really um, done for weight loss or anything like that. Mm. It's more done for a connection with God. Yeah. So um, my views are whatever the religion, whatever the rules, and you find your spiritually you're growing because you're fasting. It's the individual's choice, and right. um, mm. it, it, it's good because you take time out to think. You take time out to get back to you know, just quiet time. Mm. Um, from dawn to dusk, it just seemed like a hard fast. But mm. once it's done for a religious reason, I think people might find it. It's very fulfilling. It's very, um, you know, very beneficial to their mental health and to mm. their spiritual health. Yeah. I mean, I think my my question was based more on a nutritionist point of view as well. Okay. Um, do do you think that it is beneficial in in your opinion? Um, what was your take um, on that? Yes, yes, because it is a far, you know the other points I mentioned before that what fasting helps to do in your body. I think it is beneficial because it's you you're not constantly doing it. It's for a month, I believe, with the um. Ramadan, is it yeah, for a month? Yeah, one for one. Yeah, month, you're, yeah, you're doing it for a month, but you um, so it's it's as if you're giving your body a break. But as I said before, always um, proceed with caution. It, it's depending on your health. Yeah, of your, course. What health issues you have? Yeah, okay. but I, I I believe it's still as beneficial as as, it, as when you do it 
for um, just for fasting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just as beneficial. All the things that I mentioned before, um, all those will, will be improved. Great. Thank you so much for that, Sonia. And also, um, are there any specific types of food that should be consumed in order to gain the most health benefits for, for, from fasting? Yeah, I, I would recommend um, more nutritious food. Um, stay off the sweet things, which could spike your blood sugar, really. If you haven't eaten anything else, and then you go and have something very sweet, that would give you a sugar, what you call a sugar rush, and it could spike your blood sugar. But things like fruit, vegetables, yogurt, soups, stews, they're really important because these things are quite, um, they will re- help to replace the fluid also. If, you, if you're on a fast where you don't include fluid, mm. um, the foods that are, that have more fluid in them will be the best ones to consume. Absolutely. During the fast. Absolutely. And nutritious, nutritious food, the best nutrition you can, you know, you can get. Stews are very good, soups are very good, yogurts, yeah, they're all really good food. And and just one last question from my side, Sonia, and then I'll pass the mic, mic on mm-hmm. to uh, our host. Uh, for those worried about fasting and losing too much weight, what advice mm-hmm. can you give them on diet and how can they retain their weight? Mm. Okay, um, if you're worried about losing weight, you need to um, stay on calorie-dense food. So anything that's like cream, cheese, all, all, all the things that are calorie-dense, healthy fats, those are the things that add to your food. If you're doing salad, add some salad dressing, add some olive oil, um, anything that's ca- that, that brings the calorie levels up. Because if you can consume, because if the calorie, if you reduce your calories, that's when you lose weight. But if you can, can even though you're fasting, if you can keep your calorie levels up to a certain level, you won't lose weight. So eat calorie-rich foods. Hmm. Um, Sonia, I'm quite partial to sweet things. What's wrong with the sugar <laughs> rush? Hmm? I think we all are. Hmm. Um, it, it does spike your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Is that harmful? And a, yes, it is harmful in, di- why, why in diabetes. Because it's um, it, 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 your, your insulin in your mm-hmm. body, it's an hormone called insulin, yeah. it gets out of control. Uh-huh. And this is the problem with diabetes. That's right. why people have diabetes. Their insulin is out of control or it doesn't work properly because there's too much glucose in, in the blood. Okay. And so, sugar is glucose. Right. So would it be wrong to, to, to break a fast with something sweet? I, I believe. I uh-huh. believe it's not, not the best. It's okay. not the best. Right. Maybe stick to um, There are fruits that are not too sweet. Right, well, um, like apples and pears and bananas. Yeah, or veg, or veg, or a vegetable, or oh, even a raw vegetable is good. Oh. Yeah, oh. Um, soups. As I said, soups and stews are a great um, mm-hmm. way to break a fast because they're warm. Right, they're warming and they um, and they're low sugar, low salt. Right, and 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 if you make it, it'll have good nutrition in it. It'll have vegetables. Yeah. It'll have maybe meat. It'll have some you know things that can sustain your body and help replace the calories. Right. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Sonia. You've really added added to our discussion. Um, So it's been uh, wonderful to have you on the show. So wish you you all the best. Wish you all the best for the rest of your day. Thank you. And you too. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Right.
So no sweets then? Uh, no, no sweets. Huh? No, no, I can have sweets. I'm still <laughs> having. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't resist them, unfortunately. Uh, and that's one of the toughest uh, parts of the month of Ramadan. I cannot snack into a Yorkie or a, or a, or a Snickers. You know, one thing I've never understood mm. is that after having, especially your dinner or your lunch, mm. there's always a sweet tooth that, you know, you mm. need to have something sweet yes. to... To just to digest your food. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's almost a must, isn't it? Anyway, we have uh, we do have an Islamic perspective. And we do have another expert uh, to come on. Will that be before the eight o'clock break? Or do you uh, think so, uh, so I think we're we're planning on getting the getting our next mm-hmm. um, expert on after the eight o'clock news. Okay. As we are approaching the hour. Um, but I, I think here, uh, Brother Vilid, mm. I wanted to just just look at the fa- fasting within within the within Islam. Right. Uh, so this month itself is called is called um, Ram- Ramadan, and the the word itself Ramadan it uh, Rams uh, is from the root word Rams, and Rams means heat, and Ramadan it refers to two heats, and so in the month of Ramadan, what it means is that our love for Allah the Almighty is intensified, and also our love for the creation uh, is also intensified. And these are the two main fundamentals, as explained by the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Uh, he explains the two main fundamentals of the sh- of the Sharia within Islam is one is that you should give due rights towards Allah the Almighty. And second, is that you should give due rights towards His creation. So, Ramadan, in in actual fact, is the the whole purpose behind fasting, is that one increases in their righteousness, not only getting closer to the Creator, but also that love is further ignited or intensified in helping your your brothers and and your sisters, um, and and this is what uh, what the whole meaning is behind the word Ramadan. And if we look at the Holy Quran, the Holy Quran says regarding this month, and I quote: uh, It says in the Holy Quran, in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Most, that O ye who believe, fasting is prescribed for you, as it was prescribed for those before you, so that you may become righteous. So here. God Almighty explains that the whole purpose of fasting is that so that one may become righteous, so that one may become closer to God. And this is something which not only is found in Islam, but uh, you will find many other religions who also uh, who also taught or gave the teachings that fasting is necessary. Um, and I wanted to read a quote out of the second caliph as well that he gives on this as well. And he quotes and I, it says that the command to fast whatever its details is to be found in most religions in one form or another. The early devotions and fasting of Buddha, the fasting of Moses prior to his receiving the Ten Commandments, the fast of Jesus, peace be upon him, before receiving the heavenly call, all testify to the importance of this institution. In fact, fasting is a form of devotion and self-discipline, which has a natural appeal to man. 
so he explains he he explains that not only uh, has fasting been prescribed for muslims it has also been prescribed to the people of earlier faiths and that islam has in fact greatly spiritualized and pointed out its real purpose um and we find that islam teaches one to follow the golden mean and not to overburden oneself while is carrying out any good deeds uh, it says in the holy quran that the prescribed fasting is for a fixed number of days but whoso among you is sick or is on a journey shall fast the same number of other days for those who are unable to fast only with great difficulty is is an expiation the feeding of a poor man and whoso performs a good work with willing obedience it is better for him and fasting is good for you if only you knew so here the two main groups of people have been exempted from fasting in the month of ramadan the sick and those who are on a journey the ex- the expiation uh, owing to the extra hardships uh, one encounters on a journey is understandable and the and uh, those on a journey and and but what about others who may be adversely affected if they were to fast for a month so the answer is given within this verse where the word arabic word marid has been used the, the sick and this means that it generally used for the one who is sick one who is not in the state of full strength or good health and in the context of fasting it may also refer to one who has a long term illness or who requires regular medication aside from these the terms may also refer to young children who have not yet reached maturity and full strength the elderly the pregnant or breastfeeding mother so here in this verse is very beautifully explained i mean uh, the the earlier guest was um mentioning as well that uh, you know not all people should fast they should look after their health as well and the holy quran uh it mentions that point that if you are sick if if uh, if you if you know if you do need to take your medicines uh, or you're on a long term illness or even uh you know if you're at a if, if you're a young child that then islam says then you do not need to fast for those period of days instead uh you should give to the poor you you should feed the poor so the essence of fasting is sacrifice and the sacrifice here is the pangs of hunger and thirst which a believer encounters and each and every time a believer feels these pangs resists the temptation to give in to them he earns the love and pleasure of god almighty but the fast of ramadan entails much more than going temporarily without food and water fasting calls for a believer to engage with mental and spiritual aspects of fasting and when fasting in this special month a believer must avoid all evils he is forbidden from engaging in conjugal relations during the hours of the fast and he must suppress his anger and avoid verbal or physical abuses and in this regard the holy prophet peace be upon him also said in a narration uh, and i quote that who whosoever does not abandon falsehood evil action and one ill speaking to others allah does not care if he leaves his food and drink and in another 
narration of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he very clearly says that for a person who is fasting, if he is to go into a quarrel, um, if if there's a situation as such that uh, you know he's gone into a quarrel, he should simply say to the other person that he is fasting and try to avoid that situation. Um, and also, in other words, simply refraining from eating and drinking will not lead to righteousness. Rather, the fasting must be accompanied by good deeds and actions. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he alludes to a beautiful distinction of fasting in another hadith. He says that all the actions by the son of Adam are for him, except fasting, for verily it is for me, and I shall reward for it. So the reason why fasting is granted this unparalleled distinction is that fasting is a matter between God and his servant only, while other actions such as praying and giving charity or going on a pilgrim can be seen by others, nobody else can see if someone is going without food, and no other person will know if the fasting person gives in to his hunger or thirst or eats or drinks. And so no other person can know if the fasting resists eating and drinking or not. Thus the fasting can only be for God Almighty and this is this is and that is it and, and that is why it is very dear to God and a priceless way of reaching to him. And you know, there's also another these uh, which says that the gates of paradise are open and the gates of hell are closed at that time. Uh, so we'll go more into detail of this um, after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Keith and me and myself. We'll leave them at the time. It's just gone to minutes past eight. It's Friday the 10th of March uh, 2023. Earlier before this uh, news break, we were talking about... Uh, this uh, item that we are uh, dwelling on, uh, it's uh, about Ramzan and the health benefits of fasting. We spoke to uh, Ms. Sonia uh, Morris about it. Uh, she's a registered public health nutritionist. And uh, we'll soon be talking to another expert. It's uh, Nusrat Khosr, uh, who's a registered dietitian. Uh, she's a clinical director of prime, primary care dietitians a newly launched company where she supports dietitians working in different PCNs across England. If you're wondering what PCN means, well, we'll find out from her later on. Uh, Nusrat is also a director of NutriBytes, where she has a keen interest in reducing health inequalities in the UK or uh, through patient and HCP education. Uh, Nusrat has a special interest in uh, working with athletes with type 1 diabetes, uh, and she is uh, a co-chair and founder of British Dietetic Association, BDA, Sports and Exercise Diabetes subgroup, and is a board member of the BDA Support uh, Sport and Exercise Nutrition Register, SENR, uh, on that particular board. So uh, I'm pleased to note that she is, in fact, with us. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much for the invite today. That's um, very grateful. Well, it's our pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you very much uh, for accepting our, invita our invitation. Can you tell us, uh, elaborate a bit uh, about your role as a PCN 
dietitian. What does this entail and what does PCN mean? Yeah, so in England, um, they have what's called primary care networks. So Ah. primary care networks uh, in primary care. And they're a group of GPs that get together in your local area and they work together. Um, So basically, we support dietitians who work in primary care networks. um, And I support them across the UK. So England, particularly, we don't um, Mm -hmm. work mostly in England. Sorry. So yes, the dietitians focus on obesity, diabetes management in primary care. Um, frailty, so malnutrition, um, and also for things like gastro, like IBS or celiac disease. Um, So we can support them and work in GP surgeries with GP practices. Okay, so a wide range of uh, of uh, considerations that you actually apply your expertise to. What what about? Um, I also mentioned that um, uh, you help in HCP education. What is HCP education? So healthcare professionals, oh. so um, healthcare professionals in the, so Nutribytes is an education platform where we put webinars on. Um, so we do webinars on pre- predominantly for primary care staff, but anyone who is interested in nutrition can come to those. So again, we focus on things like diabetes, um, how to manage weight management, eating disorders, things like that. Mm-hmm. We also have a patient explainer videos, so short little videos on different types of diet and nutrition. So we have got actually one on Ramadan and fasting, mm-hmm. and we've got one for diabetes, gestational diabetes, things like that. So that, those are for patients or, you know, public, members of the public. If anyone's interested, they could go to our website, um, nutribytes.co.uk, or can go to YouTube, and they'll be on there. Okay. What's your website again? It's nutribytes.co.uk. Nutribyte, okay. Um uh, now, you, you've got a, uh, experience on a wide range of, uh, of matters here that relates to fasting. Uh, what, from your perspective, is, uh, are the benefits of fasting? So, um, <clears throat> I mean, fasting during Ramadan, um, I guess that's a, a really special time in Ramadan because you've, you've got a lot of the benefits of fasting. Um, the sunnah for Muslims who are healthy can obviously fast in Ramadan. It's a nice time, it's quite peaceful. Um, I think for a lot of people, it can help increase their self-esteem. Um, if you've managed to fast and you've successfully kept that, you know, that's a really good day where you've um, managed to resist self-control and resist temptations. Um, it can be helpful for decreasing anxiety and stress. Um, you know, you're not having to think about eating. Um, you can focus on yourself and focus on increasing your spirituality and closeness to Allah and God. Um, so it can make you feel a bit happier in yourself. It can also make you feel a bit better, um, a bit more sense of empathy for others. You know, you, you're focusing on maybe people who don't have as much as you, who are less fortunate. Mm. Um, I guess from a sort of health point of view, it can help reduce any sort of potential vices people have. So maybe, um, you know, if people smoke or if you are um, indulging in extra things. Um, and, you know, you can figure out your routine yeah. and what things are yeah. going in your diet if you drink a lot mm. of caffeine, if you're having a lot of extra sugar or snacks, you know, to maintain your energy or if you're not drinking a fluid, all these things will come across. And, and you know, we do have uh, people that drink alcohol or um, don't do enough exercise or, you know, things like that. Or maybe you exercise a lot. <laughs> mm. So um, during Ramadan, you need to slow down a little bit. Um, mm. The other things that can do in Ramadan is fasting benefits. Um, can be that if you are trying to lose weight um, or gain weight even, you know, both of those could be managed or um, you can do that in Ramadan. So if you are trying to lose weight or if you maybe have got type 2 diabetes and you're trying to eat healthier for that, 
um, that's a good time to promote, you know, maybe resetting your habits and thinking about how you're eating and pausing. Um, but there's lots of benefits to uh, Ramadan helping with physical and mental well-being, particularly for, for those sorts of um, conditions like uh, metabolic conditions, for example, um, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, things like some certain cancers and neuro, um, neurodegenerative brain diseases. We know that the, the effect of the positiveness of the fasting on Ramadan can be helpful for that. And um, so that can affect weight as also well. Sometimes people do lose weight if they're not, you know, excessively overeating and mm-hmm. um, and iftar. Um, and yeah, so sometimes as well for people with type 2 diabetes, um, if they're eating well and managing that well, their blood glucose levels can get better and their liver cells can have a better improvement you're, you know because you're using glucose and fat from the liver often the liver function test can be better for some people um, mm. obviously if you're doing Ramadan well yeah, <laughs> if you're yeah. overindulging you're going to have the other side where you see the possible weight gain um, but so some people may want to be gaining weight and they can do that as well so yeah, yeah there's lots of benefits okay. I would say a host of benefits there. I'm intrigued when you when you mentioned uh, it reduces anxiety and stress. Surely going without food during the day would increase anxiety and stress, wouldn't it? So, yes, I guess in some people it might. I think in Ramadan, uh, you know, if you think about your day-to-day, most people think, you know, what am I eating for lunch? What am I eating for breakfast? There's a mm. lot of thought and possible, you know, whereas in Ramadan, you don't have that. You sort of know oh. you're not fasting. You're not depriving your body. I think right. when you're on a diet there's a little bit of anxiety and stress because you're, oh, I'm depriving myself. I think mm. in Ramadan, you all know we will eat at the end of the day mm-hmm. or at the start of the day, but we're not thinking about being deprived, I think. You know, I don't when I'm personally fasting, but I, I, that's um, because you're not thinking about that next meal. Maybe mm. just before um, Istari, you know, you're really like, oh, I really fancy the, the what you're going to eat. But generally, I think the, the stress of fasting or dieting or when people are trying to make changes to their health and lifestyle can come from putting extra pressure on yourself and maybe Mm. in Ramadan you've got less of that you're maybe doing a bit more meditation you're probably praying a bit more you're reading Quran you're sort of doing a bit more behaviors that maybe allow you to relax a bit better Mm. yeah that's interesting Uh, talking about eating now I mean what types of food are best for a pre-fast meal yeah, so sahur um, is a really important meal um, and people should really think about the different types of food. So if they think about their plate and they were to draw their plate out, you really want at least half your plate um, to be complex carbohydrates. So mm. complex carbohydrates are mm. things like starchy carbs, like granary bread, whole grain cereals, um, lentils, dals, chickpeas, um, oats, um, anything like that, bulgur wheat, quinoa, um, anything that's chewy, so things like Weetabix compared to things like Rice Krispies. Um, usually if it takes a bit longer to chew, there's a bit more fibre. Um, so things like that, they, they will release that energy slowly, and that's what your body needs to maintain its blood glucose levels and make you feel less hungry. Um, as well, on your plate, think about the protein. So to fill you up and also give you the nutrition for the day and give you enough protein, people should think about protein foods on their plate as well. So maybe a quarter of their plate should be protein. So maybe thinking about eggs or um, meat or chicken or fish, if they eat things like that, if you're more vegetarian, um, thinking about lentils, beans, chickpeas, um, pulses, things like that are really good. Um, other tofu, you know, things like that can be useful. Also thinking about the dairy. 
So um, having a bit of protein from dairy is also useful and to also give you enough calcium for the day. So having like a natural yogurt or having a glass of milk, something like that. And maybe having um, some fruit on the side, so fruit and vegetables to give you those vitamins and minerals. So a combination could be maybe some yogurt with some berries or some fruit or mixed fruit. Um, for breakfast in the morning, it's always good to maybe do some pre-preparing. And um, so always handy to, I think I quite like something like a small fruit salad where you've got a mixture of fruits. You're getting a combination of um, vitamins and minerals from those different fruits. And mm. if you dice them or chop them the night before or pop them in the fridge or maybe pop them in your porridge um, in the morning, that sort of thing. Um, so yes, filling up on things like that. Things like pita bread is quite a low GI food as well as they, if people want things like pita bread maybe. Um, if people are having things like barantas and things like that, you know, maybe limiting those to not every single day, but again, just thinking about the rest of the food they can have alongside that. Mm. Um, additionally, yeah. thinking about the fluid. So <clears throat> spreading the fluid out, usually um, for sahul, so a couple of drinks of water maybe. Trying mm -hmm. not to drink too many um, teas and coffees and things like that because they actually dehydrate you and they will make you go to the toilet. So they're actually called diuretics. Um, avoiding things like sugary fruits and drinks, um, particularly because I know people think they need energy, but actually that will just quickly put your energy sugars up initially and then make you feel um, tired. And particularly for people with diabetes, so type 1, type 2 diabetes, um, they should be thinking about these sorts of foods and avoiding sugary foods and sugary snacks. Um, even that style also, you know, as well, because it will just help manage their blood glucose levels. Um, if you do have type 2 diabetes, eating closest to Sahur is better. So don't eat early, like leave it as late as possible, just so you've got a bit more glucose in the system that will help you manage that fast and stop you having a hypo or possibly, you know, feeling really tired from not having it. And ideally, if you do have type 2 diabetes, to always have Sahur. And, and for most people, actually, if you miss it, it's obviously a huge portion of the day that you won't get that meal back. And mm. it's a lot of nutrients that you will miss out on. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, so my, my colleague also has a few questions. Before we ask his one, I mean, generally, would you say that it uh, you need to have a light breakfast or a heavy breakfast? And um, it depends what you're trying to do. I oh. think if you're trying to eat healthily, I would I would do I would split your dinner. So your breakfast and your dinner should probably be about the same, um, technically, and then a couple of small snacks in the non-fasting time. So mm -hmm. after you've opened Iftari, you want to have a couple of drinks and a couple of snacks, maybe um, if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to gain weight. Obviously, the bigger you are, you may be, if you're uh, you know, someone who goes to the gym a lot, you're an athlete, you're probably going to need a bit more fuel to replace if you've mm. been busy. If you have had a busy day, you know, if you're very active, if you run around a lot, you're on your feet a lot, you maybe do need a few more snacks with some carbohydrate and protein and some fluid. So I would say splitting those meals into two um, similar meals is better. Right. And actually, for most people, especially if you've got type 2 diabetes, you probably need a good amount of carbohydrates as well in the morning to keep you going for the day. Mm. Um, and mm. that's for most people as well. I think if you don't have that, you're, you're not going to have enough energy and you're going to feel more tired. So actually, good nutrition plays a massive part in you achieving um, a good Ramadan across the, you know, fasting that will last. Thank you. Um, over to you, uh, Imam Bakir. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning, Nusrat uh, Kosar. Uh, you know, as we are discussing um, some of the benefits of fasting, I wanted to ask you, how does the body provide energy during fasting? 
So yeah, so during um, in healthy individuals, um, so glucose um, is your mo- most form of energy. So if you're eating things like carbohydrates, like bread, pasta, rice. Uh, noodles, things like that. Sorry, I forgot about those. You could have those as well, rice and those sorts of things. They break down in your body um, and then obviously use for energy and glucose is the majority of people will use that for energy. During fasting, obviously you've had the meals, you've had the complex carbohydrates, your body will gradually break those down and use those for energy. And what happens is um, your body uses that initial fuel from the food you've eaten gradually and that can last for up to nine hours. After that nine hours, um, your body then starts using stored glucose. So if you're an athlete, maybe you have a bit more time, you know, you've got a bit more glucose, um, but then usually the body starts burning fat from the liver. Your liver is like your backup, it's like your bank. Um, It only gives you glucose when you don't have anything else in the system. Um, So then your liver starts using some of the, the stored sugars in there, so it's called glycogen. And then that breaks down. Again, if you're a bit more of an athlete or if you're very, if you go to the gym a lot and you build, um, you might have a, a bit more time. So maybe, you know, um, so then your liver at that nine or 10 hours starts breaking down the glucose it's got in its system. And that lasts a few hours. So about 12 hours into the fast is when your body starts breaking down fat. So once the liver has used all of its glucose, then the body starts breaking down its fat stores and it goes to the fat for energy so during these months of ramadan i think um if you ate at four or five o'clock and then you you've got to about four o'clock so realistically most people um might be burning fat for about three hours so obviously in summer you would maybe burn a lot longer so you might lose a bit more weight so you might find in winter people don't lose as much weight because there's not that um that longer gap of burning fat but that's what happens. So in those last couple of hours, your body starts burning fat. Um, Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. That's what happens. For people, just to be aware, though, for people with diabetes, your body doesn't quite do that system correctly. So your body, the liver actually kicks out too much glucose. And sometimes for people with type 1 diabetes, um, that doesn't system doesn't work properly. So I would always advise anyone with type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes to speak to their healthcare professional team to speak to their doctors if they're newly diagnosed and they've been started on medications please do uh, speak to your team about checking your medicines um, we do know a huge problem um, for ramadan and people with type 2 diabetes is they have to and um, they have hypos where their blood sugar drops too low because their body is unable to regulate that naturally so because the system doesn't work properly um, which might mean that technically you should break the fast because it's not safe if you have a hypo at two o'clock in the afternoon your body then doesn't have enough glucose to supply um, the body and the brain, and that can have other effects. Obviously, it's not the one thing you want to do. The best thing is to speak to your team, especially if you're on insulin, if you're on medications that can reduce your blood glucose levels. Um, I would definitely recommend having a chat with the team or your nurse or your doctor, whoever you can speak to about that, just to prevent any issues. Uh, And particularly, fluid dehydration can be a problem for people with type 2 diabetes if they're not drinking, uh, and type 1 if they're not drinking enough. Um, and then again, if you're not eating that suhoor, so say if you miss your suhoor meal, you're fasting, your body will start burning down fat a lot sooner. So again, it just makes people a lot more tired and it can affect, um, you can lose more weight potentially. Um, and it might not be beneficial weight because you'll be losing maybe muscle or a bit more fat from your body a bit too quickly. Great, thank you so much for that. And uh, just one last question from my side. Yeah, sure. Um, 
I wanted to ask, how does fasting, particularly intermittent fasting, result in, signif- in significant weight loss? Um, so yes, I mean, Ramadan technically could be classed as intermittent fasting because there is obviously a long fast. Um, so as I said, the liver will break down and use that fat um, and use the glucose. And then as well, when you start burning fat, some of that fat will come from the liver. Um, so for most people who are a little bit overweight or if you carry weight on your tummy, there's a good chance that you've probably got a little bit of excess fat in the liver, maybe what's called fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease potentially, or you do have a little bit of fat there. So usually in Ramadan, you will find that the tummy reduces a little bit, but it's a good sign because that means the fat is reduced. So in fasting, it's those hours. So around that nine hours, your body starts burning fat, um, and then that's where your body stores and the liver fat stores will also be used and the muscle body stores will be used and that's what causes weight loss. So if people were doing um, intermittent fasting outside of Ramadan, this causes a reduction in total calories. So if you were um, you know, outside of Ramadan, nine to five, you may have a lot less calories. Um, you may have heard of the popular diet, sort of called the 5-2 diet. So with the 5-2 diet, technically, um, you know, you're supposed to eat around 800 calories a day to 1,000 calories. So you're causing a huge reduction um, in your calorie intake, possibly less than half, possibly um, a, you know, two-thirds less than normal. So, you know, potentially in Ramadan, you might not see that as much because you may not be, unless you're planning to try and reduce your total calories, that might not be your aim. But if you are, you may accidentally lose you know, between 300 to 500 calories minimum if you're having less snacks and you're not able to eat those extra things that you would do. Um, but during intermittent fasting, like I say, often because you've got that negative balance across the week, if you've had a 500 calorie deficit on a daily basis, that could be one to two pounds weight loss. So yeah, if you're doing this regularly and you're doing five two, you could potentially lose um, weight, you know, within one to two pounds a week. Um, during Ramadan, like I say, it is possible if you do manage your diet well and you do that split um, food and you make sure you're having those healthy proteins. And um, so that's how it works. And it, it, it just it means that your body's burning a bit more fat, using a bit more um, stored fat rather than using just sugars. And that's what causes the weight loss. Thank you very much, Anishat, uh, for that. Um, uh, one, one very quick question. Uh, it says, uh, my, my notes say that you have a special interest in working with uh, athletes. Anybody famous? <laughs> Sadly, no. Um, <laughs> I speak to quite a few people. Not yet. Um, the closest I've got to fame, I don't know if you know him, is called Halid Pushti. Uh-huh. Um, he's a type one athlete in Ar- uh, Saudi Arabia, Dubai. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, we were on the same talk together, but no, not met him in person. Sadly. Okay. <laughs> no, okay, thanks very much. But anyway, th- thank you very much for coming on and, uh, well, um, educating us on, on this very important matter. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you very much for the invite, Gafi. Okay, thank you. Assalamualaikum. Right, uh, moving on. Uh, I think we uh, shall we move on to the next topic. Uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I just wanted to summarize this uh, this particular. Uh, I mean, we've discussed in very much in detail, but I think uh, we can conclude the topic uh, with the quotation of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the Azam Zaghulam, the founder of the MDM Muslim community, and he explains the true essence of fasting in islam uh, so we'll we'll end with that quote so his holiness he says and i quote that fasting is not merely staying hungry and thirsty 
Rather, its reality and its impact can only be gained through experience. It is human nature that less that the less one eats, the the more one's spirit is purified, and thus his capacity of spiritual vision increases. The, the will of God is to decrease one kind of substance and to increase the other. A person who is fasting should always be mindful that he is not just required to stay hungry. On the contrary, he should remain engaged in the remembrance of God so that he can cut asunder ties of worldly desires and amusements and is wholly devoted to God. Hence, the significance of fasting is this alone that man gives up one kind of substance which only nourishes the body and attains the other kind of substance uh, that is the source of comfort and gratification for the soul. So very beautifully put by the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, that uh, it's not just merely to abstain from food and hunger, but rather uh, to you know, f- focus solely on your spirituality and cutting food to one side and not focusing focusing towards that and then developing that uh, uh, spirituality for God Almighty. Um, and the promise of Messiah, peace be upon him, at other places where he explains that how uh, it was through continuous fasting that uh, you know, resulted in visions that he had from Allah the Almighty. So, explaining that it increases a person in spirituality. So with that, we'll conclude this particular uh, segment and I'll pass the mic on to Brother Walid to uh, get us to introduce on the next segment. Right, thank you very much for that. Um, the next uh, uh, main topic that uh, we are going to be dealing with, as mentioned at the top of the program, is regarding uh, this initiative uh, about four-day work week um, and uh, something that we picked up from the Al Jazeera website. It says four-day work week, happier employees. Um, and the gist of this story is that uh, a trial of a four-day w- work week in Britain, uh, billed as uh, the world's largest, found an overwhelmingly uh, well, an overwhelming majority of 61 companies that participate participated would keep going with the shorter hours and most employees were less stressed and less burnt out. Uh, That was all while revenue uh, reported by the participating companies largely stayed the same over the June to December trial period and even grew compared with the same six months a year earlier according to the findings released this week. So I suppose they're talking about February. Um, we uh, feel this is uh, one of the uh, 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 the uh, investigators, one of the uh, uh, study uh, specialists. Uh, he says that uh, we really feel encouraged by the results. We showed the many ways companies were tuning uh, or were turning the four-day week from a dream into a realistic policy with multiple benefits. Uh, and he went on to say, this is uh, David Frain, uh, who's a research uh, associate involved in this from the University of Cambridge. He said that um, we think there is a lot more here that ought to motivate other companies and industries to give it a try. 
uh, and the university's team worked with researchers from uh, Boston College uh, Autonomy, a research organization focused on the future of work and the four-day week uh, global non-profit community to see how the companies to uh, non-profits took part, uh, how companies would respond to reduce work hours while pay stayed the same. Industries spanning marketing and finance uh, to non-profits uh, took part, as did their 2,900 workers. Not surprisingly, employees reported benefits with 71% saying they were less burnt out, 39% saying they were less stressed, and 48% saying they were more satisfied with their jobs than before the trial. Now, there's more to be said on this, but uh, I think uh, unless we uh, bring on uh, the discussions we had with certain experts, then we may not have time to listen to what they had to contribute. Uh, one of the experts we spoke to was Melissa Dawn. She is the co-founder, uh, CEO of Your Life. And uh, this is what she uh, had to say in uh, discussion with one of her uh, uh, presenters. So we have with us today at the Voices Islam radio station, Melissa Dawn, and you are a founder of CEO of Your Life and a re-owned speaker, author, and coach. And you are also a certified professional co-active coach, a certified team performance coach, a conscious business coach, and a certified master's practitioner of medicine. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today at the Voice of Islam Radio Station. Thank you for having me. Um, so... We wanted to ask you, many people often feel burnt out at work, and I wanted to ask you, how many companies encourage a sense of work-life balance, and should the working week be reduced? What do you think? Well, more and more companies are going in that direction. We still have a long way to go. Some people started with uh, Fridays off in the summer, and they extended it to all year around, or, you know, no meeting Fridays, so... There, there is progress being made. However, there's, there's still a lot more to be made. Um, you know, different companies are doing different things. Like some companies are offering unlimited time off, so people can take as many, as many days off as they need, uh, as long as they get the work done. So I do believe moving forward that, you know, we need more and more flexibility in the workforce, especially considering companies are trying to have as many women leaders as men leaders, it seems to be a goal that it should be 50-50 within the next few years. So, so much more flexibility is required. And Melissa, why do you think balance is so important when it comes to work? Because work is, is, is just one part of our lives, right? We have our personal growth. We have our families. We have our children. Um, we have our health. Like that, We have our finances. We have our physical environment. Like there's, It's just one slice of the pie. We can't put everything in one slice at the expense of everything else, you know, and it's like that uh, metaphor, like on the plane, you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself first so you can better help the people around you. So you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself so you can be a better partner, a better parent and, and a better employee. Absolutely. And, and having said that, do you think it's important to set boundaries? Well, definitely. Um, if you don't set boundaries, uh, then everyone wants a piece of you, right? So you have to 
have the conversation with yourself and say, what do I need? You know, what do I need to be in place so I can be the best person possible for everyone around me? You know, do I need to start work at a certain time? Do I need to finish at a certain time? Like, when do I stop looking at my emails? Um, You've got to first get clear with yourself and what you need and then put the boundaries for the people around you. Now, if you're not used to having boundaries, of course, the people around you are going to react because they're not used to you setting boundaries. But slowly, slowly, if you're persistent and you don't give in, um, they will get used to it and they will adapt. But, you know, start one step at a time. You know, it's like I tell my clients, you know, start by just saying no more emails after a certain time. And then Mm. or block off time in your calendar where you have no meetings so you can actually do your work or block off some time at lunch so that nobody can like book over it. You know, give yourself the time you need so that you can regroup and be your best self. And it's proven the statistics show that the people that do this are actually better employees than the people that don't take the time. I actually heard this quote, I think it's from Carl, Carl Honoré, and he mm. said, in a world addicted to speed, slowness is a superpower. We need to slow down so that we can then speed up. And often people do not embrace conflict at work to avoid confrontation or issues. Why do you think, uh, or do you think it's important to embrace this and how can this be done professionally? Well, the thing is, if we don't have the conversations we need to have, nothing moves forward. So it's okay to have a different point of view from someone else as long as we talk about it respectfully and say our opinion. And, and by having these conversations, we can actually make real change. But people are afraid when their opinion is different. But remember that you're in that role for a reason. You're paid to be in that role for a reason. And unless if you want everything to be the same in six months, you have to do something different. So you have to start speaking up. So, you know, I always say get clear on your values, get clear on the other person's values and see where you can co-create and and where you can meet in between. Thank you for that, Melissa. And also, uh, some people may feel it is important to separate work from their own personal life. Why do you think it's important to be our authentic self when it comes to work? Because when we can bring our true self forward at work, we are so much more creative and alive and motivated and energized, right? If we feel we have to be someone else when we go to work, um, then we're not bringing our full self forward and we're not contributing as much. So first of all, we don't feel as fulfilled personally when we can't bring our full self to work. And the company's not getting the best of ourselves either because we're not as energized and passionate and bringing our strengths forward. So I know some people, they're one person at work and one person at home, but I'd encourage you, like, start being a little bit more. You don't have to bring, like, your full self tomorrow morning, but, you know, start with one little thing, like sharing some things that you like, you know, just connecting more. You know, there's some companies, they have uh, lunches where, there's a different person that speaks every day about something they're passionate about outside work, just so they can learn more about the person than what they do enjoy outside of work. So, so start with these small things and slowly, slowly build up until you, you can feel you can bring your whole self forward. And also, I wanted to ask you personally, how do, how do we discipline ourselves more when it comes to work as well? Um, are there any tips or any guidelines you could give in that sense? What do you mean by disciplining ourselves for work? You mean um, to do our daily tasks? Yeah, so to do our daily tasks, just just be uh, just be motivated to come to work. Really, I think 
some people have a difficulty in getting themselves motivated when it comes to work. So how can what tips can you give to someone if they lack motivation when it when it comes to work or even discipline? Well, first you have to you have to ask yourself like why am I choosing to do this work? Now let's be honest, some people have to work because they have to build pay the bills and they're in jobs that they don't like. Mm. But you have to remind yourself why. Okay, I'm at this job at this time so I can pay the bills. It doesn't mean you have to be in that job forever. You can start building your skills and applying for other jobs on the side. But you always have to put yourself in the best position in this moment so that you're in the best position in the next moment. So even if you're in a job you don't like, still give it your best because the people around you are going to be giving you references and they're going to remember your attitude. And if you can make the best with what you have now, then you can do even better with something that you, you really love. So, so get clear, why am I doing it? And remind yourself why you're doing it. In terms of, of tasks, and this is personally and professionally, I always say to take some time every week to schedule your week. So it could be Monday morning or Friday afternoon, like, look at your calendar, think about what you need, and put it in there, and then everyone else can put in what they need of you after, right? Now, it won't always work out that way. Sometimes you have to be in meetings, um, and that won't be possible, but it'll happen more often than if you don't schedule uh, the time you need first. So, it's really about scheduling and taking time every week to schedule your week so you can get your tasks done. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did perfectly. Thank you so much, um, Melissa Dawn, for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station and sharing your expertise in this particular field. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Right, so as indicated in that clip, that was Melissa Dawn, the co-founder of uh, CEO of Your Life and uh, a certified professional co-active coach uh, who was speaking to us earlier. We also had the pleasure of uh, speaking to Professor Wendy Hall. Uh, Professor Hall is a professor emeritus in the School of Nursing, University of British Columbia. And uh, this is what she uh, uh, said to us in a discussion we had with her earlier. Uh, we're in the company of Dr. Wendy Hall on the line. Uh, Dr. Hall is the Professor Emeritus in the School of Nursing at the University of British Columbia. Wonderful, uh, wonderful to have you uh, on, uh, Professor. Tell me, sometimes parents with young children struggle to find a good work-life balance due to various factors. Uh, how can parents with young children achieve a good work-life balance according to you? Well, thanks for having me on, Waleed. I, I appreciate it. Um, yes, you're right. It, it can be very difficult for parents to establish work-life balance uh, with young children in particular. And there are some techniques they can use. One thing is to look very carefully at what the priorities are in their lives and, and what are the things that they really want to spend time on. Obviously, one has to work. Um, but also one has to figure out what to do about child care. And uh, a lot of parents really benefit from some time for a little bit of personal recreation, maybe some walking or some physical activity for themselves and some couple time. So trying to fit all that in is, is not easy. Mm. 
And uh, when it comes to things like sleep and sleep hygiene, how important is it uh, for parents to get the right amount of sleep? Not just parents, but children as well. I, I really need to stress how important it is for parents and their children to sleep well. If they can get a good night's sleep, they're set up for a much better day. For children, they're more able to pay attention. They're more able to manage any upsets that might happen. Uh, they're, they're physically better uh, in terms of getting adequate sleep. And the same thing goes for parents. So sleep hygiene is critical. And what parents really need to think about is how to create the conditions for themselves and their children to get the best possible sleep. Mm-hmm. And uh, what advice would you give to those who do shift work, um, and especially those who struggle to sleep well uh, or have experienced disturbed uh, sleep because of this? How can they improve uh, the quality of their sleep? Well, that's a really great question, Waleed. And the, the sleep hygiene that parents would use for their children and that they would use for themselves also works for people who are doing shift work. So it's really important for everybody to have a dark, quiet sleeping place and Mm. also a cool place to sleep so that the room can't be too warm. And so for sleeping during the day, for shift workers, they want to draw the shades or maybe have an eye mask if their bedrooms tend to be quite bright and they might need to have an earplug or two and possibly a noise machine to block out any noise from the outside. And sometimes children can benefit from a, a noise machine placed uh, in the bedroom if they are very light sleepers and get disturbed by noise from uh, other places. Also, um, shift workers need to figure out what kind of schedule they want to be on. And likewise, for parents and children, it's the same thing. So trying to go to bed at the same time when a shift worker gets home from work and also for a parent and a child to try to go to bed at the same time and then rise at the same time. So some shift workers like to stay up for a few hours after they arrive home um, so that they can unwind from work. But then if they're going to go to bed at that time, it's really important that they do that regularly, that their bedtime is at the same time and their rise time before they go to work is at the same time. And the same thing goes for uh, parents and children. And before going to bed, a shift worker might want to um, have some relaxing activity like a hot bath or meditation, and that can be very useful for parents and children to relax before they go to sleep. Mm. We don't want um, a lot of alcohol being consumed by shift workers because that interferes with their sleep. And caffeine is really important to avoid in the two to three hours before they go to sleep. And likewise, parents want to make sure their children don't have a lot of caffeine late in the day after noon, and parents also need to avoid that. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, You mentioned uh, at the beginning of your answer the significance of um, being in the dark and cool and being in a cool place. What, what exactly is the significance of being in a... Why is that relevant to, to good sleep? It's relevant because uh, a lot of us are light sensitive. I'm quite light sensitive. So uh-huh. 
if there's a lot of bright light in the room, it can end up disturbing sleep because a person's, even though you're, you think you're sleeping, you're aware of it. And so it, it's affecting your consciousness. Um, and hot rooms are difficult to sleep in. So a cool room really promotes sleep. It keeps your body temperature low. And we don't want our body temperatures rising till just a few hours before we get up for the day. So usually our body temperatures rise at around 5 o'clock, 4 to 5 o'clock in the morning, and that's the signal to our bodies that soon it's going to be time to get up. So mm-hmm. if we're in a hot room, that interferes with that. Ah, okay. Um, now, we've discussed uh, shift work. What about uh, parents with newborn children, mothers who need to go to go back to work? They tend to struggle with tasks like sleeping, weaning, and feeding. Uh, how would you suggest uh, a balance can be achieved for them during this phase? Well, that's a really great question. And again, mothers, it depends a little bit on when they're going back to work, how old their their babies are. Some women are very fortunate and have a six-month maternity leave or a year maternity leave. And so their children are older when they're going back to work. And for those children, routines are really important. So trying to get those help those children fall asleep at the same time each day and the same rise time for feeding for breastfeeding while mothers are at work they can pump if they are at a work site that allows them to do that and and creates opportunities for them to do that also if they're somewhere where they can refrigerate their breast milk um, so they can do that and then they could uh, give their baby um, a, a feed uh, when they get home from work at the end of the day from the breast milk that they've pumped. Uh, It's good if mothers can help their babies sleep. Sometimes um, doing a what we call a dream feed can be very helpful. So that's a feed that mothers would do just before they go to bed. So if their child had their last feed at, say, 7 o'clock, uh, they could do the dream feed at, say, 10 or 10.30 in the evening before they go to bed, and that helps the baby uh, last for longer during the night so that they don't need to wake um, soon after the mother goes to bed to have a feed. Um, but obviously, if children are younger, if, if you've got um, children less than five months of age, they haven't really consolidated their sleep yet, so the feeding tends to be um, much more cue-based, so you have to respond when the, when the baby's indicating um, they need to feed during the night because they they can't sustain sleep for as long as the older children can. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think, I mean, uh, recently there's been talk in the UK about having a shorter week do you think that will help in uh, in in achieving a, a work uh, a work life balance? Well, that could be absolutely brilliant to help parents mm-hmm. do that. If you consider that there's household work, there's childcare, there's uh, getting your child into like childcare on the weekends when you're not uh, sending your child to a daycare or or a crash as you might call it. Um, then all of those things have to get done on the weekends. If you've got older children, they may be involved in sports activities 
or they may um, have other activities that they really want to do. There's a lot of balls for parents to keep in the air. And if they mm. could have an extra day um, to do the, 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 work, the family work that they need to do, that would be a, a very great benefit to them. Mm-hmm. And finally, do you think uh, there's anything else that governments can do to help people achieve a, a, work, a work-life balance? Well, I'm not sure exactly what the arrangements are in the UK, so I, I would hesitate mm. to comment on that. But in Canada, um, what has happened is governments have basically kind of left parents on their own pretty much right after they have their their, their babies. If, they're, if parents are getting midwifery care, the midwives usually stay involved with the parents for about six weeks. It used to be that all parents who went home from the hospital got a visit from a public health nurse, and they would go and into the parents' home and, and check on feeding, how the feeding was going, how the baby was growing, how the mother was coping, um, make some suggestions for how she could manage and, and get some supports in place. And that has pretty much gone by the board here. That that doesn't happen anymore unless there's a very high-risk family. So I think more support for parents in those early stages after their children have been born would be a huge help for them. Okay, great. Thanks very much uh, for your contribution. It's been very informative. Uh, uh, Dr. Wendy Hall, Professor Emeritus from uh, British Columbia, we're very grateful for you to have come on to and speak to us. So I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Willie. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Uh, so that was uh, Professor Wendy Hall, Professor Emeritus in the School of Nursing, University of British Columbia. If you're wondering what a Professor Emeritus is, it's a retired uh, college professor, uh, and when a uh, professor stops, te- stops teaching, she might be given the title of emeritus, which basically means she can still be remembered as a successful professor. So that's another uh, uh, piece of information that may be useful to you. Now, uh, we haven't had uh, an Islamic perspective to this, so over to you, Mantaki. Yes, I mean, this itself is an interesting topic, and there's something which we... Uh, haven't co- covered before especially on i think friday mornings mm. looking at uh, you know should we be working less uh, i mean looking at the topic uh, that you know they've introduced uh, rather than 5 days of work they've they're looking at uh, you know 4 days of work and if it has an t- impact on the mental health or not and uh, the findings suggest that you know it is very beneficial and they're getting good outcomes from it um, and, and, and certainly, you know, if we look at the teachings of Islam, you know, Islam says that, you know, you should balance everything. Um, and, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also said that, you know, you, you, you know, your, your parents have a right on you, your family has a right on you, you know, your, even your work life, you know, you, you have a right towards that as well. So you have to balance everything, not just, you know, fully focus yourself on work but also give your family time and also give your give your own self time you know personally look after your health as well go for walks um go for runs you know socialize with your mates uh, so islam it actually says that you know you should you should carry everything together 
And for this particular segment, uh, you know, we're just looking at, you know, how can one person may make themselves happy? Um, and just just a few tips uh, that we have for our listeners as well. So step one, turning the happiness switch on, offering everyone you meet peace, and this will make you happier. This idea is in line with the modern uh, psychological studies which show that giving makes us happy. Um, a great TED talk entitled Money Can Buy Happiness explains how giving makes you happier than taking. And in a similar way, offering peace to everyone has a similar effect. This simple practice which is on the happiness potential in your head and, and this itself is in line with the teachings of Islam as well as the, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he said that Afshalu Salama that you should continue to spread peace to everyone regardless of you know whether you get along with them or not Islam says that you know spread peace to everyone and spread that happiness to everyone as well and uh, even now uh, you know from psychological studies as well it shows that giving can make one per- a person a lot happier step two is that realizing that we are all brothers and sisters uh, and, and the this step is to love everyone um, and if you have done the first you will already be experiencing the secondness happiness is not in things but in relationships loving everyone means to love people without expecting anything in return and that is what love is supposed to be and when you do not expect anything from people you do not get frustrated and when they do not do things you you were hoping they would and less frustration means more happiness for you and there are even more benefits to spreading love when you love everyone your relationship your relations with people will inevitably get better and you will and will make you even happier so as happiness sometimes uh, is sometimes that comes and goes with ups and downs in life the holy quran it focuses the importance of finding inner peace and tranquility um, such as if we look at the verse of the holy quran in chapter 13 verse 29 that surely in allah's remembrance do the hearts find comfort and inner peace and tranquility this is something which Islam it lays great emphasis on and that is through our five daily prayers as well that we must continue to remember Allah the Almighty and and you know this itself is uh, is the first is the first step you know uh, to attain that inner happiness as the Holy Quran also mentions as well that that God Almighty, He has not created man and the jinn except that they may worship their Lord. So this is an in- injunction by Allah the Almighty that they should remember their Lord. So may Allah the Almighty enable all of us to understand and act upon these teachings of Islam. And with that, I'll hand the mic over to Brother Walid. Thank you. I think uh, um, it means that uh, we have come to... Uh, the end or approaching the end of this broadcast and it leaves me to thank on behalf of us both uh, those people who have been involved in the preparation of this uh, program Uh, in particular our gratitude uh, is owed to uh, the producer Malia Abdullah and her researchers Uh, they are Sayyidah Hannah Saud, Neha uh, Aman 
Yusra and Maha. So thank you to all of them uh, for their efforts. And we shouldn't forget our engineer, Muhammad Shafiq, uh, who has been engaged in the background to make sure that everything technical-wise goes uh, smoothly, and it has. So thank you to him. Uh, and then uh, we should also be grateful to those experts who joined us, uh, some that joined us this morning, others that uh, were able to uh, give uh, their opinions uh, beforehand. Uh, of them, uh, we include uh, Melissa Don, author of CEO of Your Life. Uh, she uh, gave uh, the benefit of, of her wisdom uh, regarding the uh, uh, the item, the topic about four-day work week, happier employees. Uh, so that's where she was able to uh, give us uh, further information and uh, um, give greater perspective on that particular topic. And we were also joined uh, earlier uh, by Professor uh, Wendy Hall. She spoke to us uh, uh, yesterday, uh, and we were able to share her thoughts. And she also spoke uh, uh, relating in a subject relating to the four-day work week. So that was uh, those people who helped us to understand these issues better speaking to us uh, beforehand, but those who came on to the program this morning included uh, Sonia Morris. So Sonia Morris uh, is a registered public health nutritionist, and uh, so she gave us the benefit of her wisdom on uh, the uh, subject of health benefits of fasting. And then we were also then joined by uh, um, Nusrat Kosser. Uh, Nusrat Kosser is uh, a registered dietitian, and she gave us the benefit of her expertise and experience to further understand the issue about the benefits that can be elicited from fasting. So thank you to them as well. So uh, those are the uh, words of gratitude uh, that uh, we must uh, uh, we, uh, that need mentioning, uh, people that we are very grateful to. Um, for their uh, for their help in the in this broadcast, um, and that uh, leaves us uh, uh, motoring uh, further towards the nine o'clock news. There's still a minute or so to go, um, so uh, I'll just say salam alaikum from both uh, myself and uh, Imam Tokir. And there will be a short interlude after that. You will find the uh, news. Salam alaikum.